On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our episode with Rourke Denver. Oh, no one in that room will, till the day they die, forget that experience, least of all him. So you want to talk about one of those things that in a moment can change a man, that that was one of them. I mean, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, Roger, that you have hundreds of your peers, people you respect, standing at your back, you know, saying you can do better, do better. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Uh, Rourke, picking up right where we left off, um, thinking specifically about leadership in the military and, you know, the myth versus reality and and how Hollywood portrays it versus how it is actually out there. Um, Certainly the courage and the hard charging gets covered in spades. Um, But I'd love if you could talk to us about, um, you know, you mentioned that, that maybe not everybody knows some of the best leaders in your community are the more intellectual, the thoughtful ones, the ones who pause, the ones who whisper. Is there anybody that comes to mind as someone who commands a ton of respect without doing it at the top of their lungs? I mean, no names, but just somebody who comes to mind. No, I can, yeah, I mean, I can think of more of those than I can think of the yellers, yellers and screamers. You know, it, most of our successful um, officers, I think, do that, do more um, with a whisper or a, a clear, you know, balanced perspective and way of interfacing with their folks than they do, you know, being maniacal and tyrannical. I've seen a couple of those screamers and yellers make it work. But again, they end up becoming people that even when they're effective, it's effective in so much that the team, um, you know, gets the job done. It probably wasn't a tremendous amount of fun for those, you know, yeah. working for those folks. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know, I never knew a chance to work for Steve Jobs, but it, it sounded like, Obviously, he was that brilliant, incredible person that had vision and design ability and and, and might have lacked some uh, people skills. 
Yeah, but it's just like it sounded like it was a it was a nightmare to work for the dude. And so you're kind of like, man, what a weird thing. So is that well, considered a win or a loss? You know, I mean, what he created is undeniable. But if working for him totally sucked, was that a good experience? Yeah, did he no, miss some potential? Right. For sure. Well, for I sure. want to I want to talk about this for a minute. You know, people figure, hey, you're out there knocking heads and taking names, and um, who cares if your people like it? You know, yeah. R- Rourke, why does it matter if your men are happy? Aren't, aren't we Aren't we Navy SEALs? What What's your yeah. response? You know, my response would be, you got to, well, you got to be okay with both, right? So, I mean, I don't think I ever led in such a way that anyone that was on my team or working for me had any question who was in charge. And and I I, I try to say that with any arrogance, but I think if you interviewed most of the people that ever worked on my team, they would have been like, eh, boss will make a call every once in a while, but in general, we got to carry the water. That that wasn't a problem. I was was definitely going to be in charge when it was time for me to be in charge. That said, I didn't beat people up over that. I mean, I beat a few people up when I felt like they made mistakes, but even that was was in the context of, okay, mistake, now let's move forward and, 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 and get the best out of performance. The, the one thing I did was get a tremendous amount of buy-in for my troops, and more than buy-in to say, okay, I feel good because you validate what I was thinking. I just figured if we got 20 folks in the room thinking about a way to you know, uh, break down a mission – Somebody's going to come up with a better idea than me, most likely. And that was often the case. I had no problem with, you know, metabolizing that and saying, okay, that's going to be the plan. Great idea. Let's move forward with it. Now I'll manage that plan as we get into the actual fight. So I still got the benefit of, of being in charge and running it. But if one of my guys came up with a great way um, to do the job better than I did, I had absolutely no problem, um, you know, giving that over to them. And I don't know if that's a personality-driven trait. Um, or something I practiced, but I, I think it was just practical. Somebody's going to come up with a good idea. Let's go with that good idea. You know, uh, a mentor of mine who I was quoting earlier when I said the, the privilege of link is the privilege to serve. The guy, he's episode number one for the show, uh, Chip Huth, who's commander of the Kansas City SWAT team for years. And um, he, he really had influence on me about that, about when he finally became comfortable in his leadership of, of, taking the backseat and letting things get a, go a little slower so that his guys could learn the creativity and could gain the skill set instead of just right. look at how smart the boss is. Right. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask this, you know, uh, let's say that obviously there's a, there's uh, a high level of, of individual that's, that makes it through selection and is in the community, but within that, there's still better and worse folks. You know, you get sure. a few hundred people together and there's going to be better and worse within that. And No, for sure, for sure. You know, before we started today, you and I talked about a couple of individuals we, we know in common who I've got a lot of respect for. Um, when you think about the, the boss or the commander that got the best work out of you, um, can you give me some specifics about that individual and, and why you think they got your discretionary effort more than just I, the I, checking I the box? I definitely can. I definitely can. I, I hit the lottery in that my very first commanding, well, my very first commanding officer, I showed up at the team and, you know, I was there for only a couple months when he was there. So let, let's take him off the, off the board. Although he, he was, you know, totally capable leader. My first true commanding officer, the one that I actually earned my tried my bird, which it, you know designates me as a seal officer, went through his process to get there um, was somebody that we, we kind of nicknamed um, uh, father war. That's what we nicknamed him, all the guys on my team. He ended up running our top team. He is an absolute community legend. Folks listening to this will know who I'm talking about as soon as I start talking about him because he took over that team. He did our workouts, and, and we used to work out every day like absolute animals. This was pre-9-11. Runs, swims, obstacle courses, hitting the gym, um, you know, calisthenics, all that stuff. 
he was at the team running those workouts for, I think, six months before I realized he'd lost a leg in a parachute accident and was running on a fake leg and had different adjustments for his leg for, like, his fins so he could swim out in Virginia Beach and Chesapeake Bay and we're running through old courses. He's getting it done. So talk about a quiet professional that just, you know, walked the talk and lived – you know, live this, you know, persona of being all in going as hard as he can go, even though he was short a limb, this is pre nine 11. So there weren't that many people that fell in that category. Um, but he was just one of those legendary leaders that treated everybody well from operator to that, that era. We called it techs, you know, the non seals at the teams that ran, you know, the administrative office, the armory, the motor pool and all that stuff. He treated everyone equally and, and you earn that level of treatment, but I, I never see him treat someone harshly, but one of the most amazing events, not to kill this entire, uh, this entire block of time. But I remember we had a guy um, that got his second DUI. Okay. Out in the civilian world, he got a, he got a, he got a, a drunk, drunk, drunk driving offense. Right. And that gets back to the command. And I remember he said, we're going to have an all hands captain's mass. That's captain's mass. When you take somebody um, for a formal proceeding to discipline them and make a judgment on, you know, if you're going to keep in the Navy, retain them, get rid of them and so on. So we all come into this one big kind of briefing room that we're in. So the entire command, it's like 250 people at that point are in this room, but it was all, all the seals and operators. And then he's standing with his back to us. So all of us are facing this young man who is now facing the entire command to include the commanding officer for what's called an open captain's mass. You usually do this in closed session. And I remember it goes through a lot of different details and conversation, but then finally he actually turns to the rest of the command and says, look, I'm well within my rights to get rid of this guy. He's done plenty by, by Navy doctrine and, and, and screwing up driving while under the influence to get rid of him. All I want to know is how the team feels about him. So if you think this guy's worth salvaging, you go stand with him. Big pregnant pause, takes a second, and then operator seals just start walking to the other side of this conference room and stand behind the guy who had failed out in the public life. By the time it's done, quite literally the entire command is now standing on the other side of this man backing him up. Now them and him, all of us, are looking at the commanding officer standing alone, giving him the read that we're like, this guy is worth salvaging. I think he's going to do well and move forward. And I mean, I, I can't say it without getting choked up as I'm thinking about it right now. And it just seemed like this ultimate shift in power and somebody that was so comfortable in their skin as a leader to be standing there with an entire team at his back, most like, you know, truly the most powerful person of the team with all this muscle and might behind him. And then to allow the entire team to stand behind the offender and have all the power staring at him and be kind of naked out there willing to make a decision. And he did, he saved the guy. The guy went on to a great career. It was just one of those moments that like, you, you can't even make that up. It's like a scene from a movie. And that that's, that's just the way he operated. It was, it was just a phenomenal person to start my career with. And I, 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 I got to experience him several times throughout my time. No, I'd, lo I'd love to dive into this. You know, it's so interesting for folks who hear about a dangerous situation like drunk driving, which obviously needs to be taken seriously, right? Yep. And and there's such a knee-jerk reaction to punishment. And you think of like how many people would like to shame a guy like that. Oh, we'll, we'll shame him into doing better. Yes. Um, you know, you hear a story like that, and, and there's obviously some uh, emotion in your voice there, and it transfers through the rest of us listening. I mean, the effect that likely had on that guy compared to shame he would have been trying to forget the rest of his life i think there's yep. any chance that guy forgets that experience oh I, no one in that room will till the day they die 
forget that experience, least of all him. So you want to talk about one of those things that in a moment can change a man, that that was one of them. I mean, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, Roger, that you have hundreds of your peers, people you respect, standing at your back, you know, saying you can do better, do better. And he did. It was just, yeah, it was powerful beyond measure. Absolutely incredible. And and you touch on something that's interesting also is that we feel, I feel like we've gotten this place in the modern era where everybody is expecting or wants perfection in our leaders, in our public servants, in our, you know, president and so on. It's like, give me a break. No one lives in that place, right? We all make mistakes. I mean, I, I probably screwed four things up today and, and this has been a pretty good day. I mean, can you imagine Winston Churchill in a 24-hour reporting cycle or with Twitter? He would have never been the prime minister. And we'd probably all be speaking German right now. Because, you know, he said crass things. He said it was style and panache. But, you know, smoked cigars, probably drank too much, said some uncouth things about women. And so he would never have survived in the modern era. But not for him. The entire face of of probably the world is different if he wasn't in that position. So I, I think we are trying to put people on pedestals that they don't exist with. I mean, I, I'm not here to defend the current president. I, you know, let's take away politics and who voted for who or whatever. But I mean, we're actually now embroiled in this thing where the current president, based on someone he slept with 12 years ago, is now like that's impacting current, like his his posture and his presidency. And that's going to that's going to be the thing that nukes him. We know for a fact the Secret Service was running females through the actual White House when JFK was there. Well, like we had no problem with that then. It's just like, God, we're doing way too much to have everybody be perfect. But actually, if they're effectively doing what they're doing, that might be still totally useful and good. You, you know, know? I, I like but, good character and I want to see that. But there's everybody's got their shortcomings and you got to be able to gotta be able to allow for it because you're going to still get some good things. You know, you think, though, when it comes to high performance organizations, um, and, and those of us that would like our team to become, you know, the, the team we're a part of to become more of one, right? This principle of, um, you know, not letting ourselves off the hook, being much more concerned about are we setting the example? You know, if everything we did was was on the front page of the local newspaper, would we be, would we be embarrassed for our mom to read it, right? Yeah. Yep. Being hyper concerned about that and being like super interested in how can we give ourselves less of a pass? In, in a non-judgmental way, but in a more of a radical self-honesty kind of way, right? Yeah. Not a beat ourselves up way. And yet, uh, and yet doing the opposite for those we lead of the trying to find any opportunities to give them the second chance. Right. When the natural human temptation is to give ourselves the pass and hold everyone else to justice, you know? Yeah. Um, like I, this story you told, I, I, I like the, um, the concept here too of, of action you know, like I think as, as leaders, um, I think I <laughs> suffer from one of the things you brought up of, I can get long winded. Right. Yep. And that, I mean, who knows where the guy came up with, <laughs> with that, uh, example of getting everybody to go stand. Right. Yep. But interesting how much got communicated without words there, isn't it? Oh, I mean, that's the thing, right. It is, is it was just, it was an action and it was quiet in the room, S save, save the offenders tears and him basically like falling apart, seeing that the entire team was there to support him, stand behind him, represent for him. But yeah, I mean, you want to talk about nonverbal communication and, and, and more being said with saying nothing. It was, it was potent. It was potent. 
Also, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Skillshare. They're doing a promo for us. For everybody listening to the show, it's skillshare.com slash leader, where they're going to let anybody get two months of access to their 18,000 classes for just 99 cents uh, at that code, skillshare.com slash leader. And I think for me, one of the reasons that I like Skillshare and, and probably like the classes that are most attractive to me are the really high credibility ones. Like you can learn email marketing from MailChimp. I mean, these are the guys that make $500 million a year sending email out for their customers. They've got the data. They've, they're they legitimate experts on the subject. And as I'm getting advice, I know that I should be building my list better than I am. That's the kind of people that I want to get my advice from and, and you can get it right there on those classes. One last time, uh, if you want that 99 cents for the two months, it's skillshare.com slash leader. It's interesting uh, that he probably didn't, he probably gave that some thought. You know? Oh, there's no doubt. He, he's real purposeful in the way he does things. And, 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 you know, I don't think that was on a whim, um, but what a special thing. He, you know, he was, he was also, Nah, there's some things I can't talk about. God, it's, the guy, the guy did so much in, in, in the time that I was there. Um, he, he was incredible at looking at a, um, he could look at the real strategic and he could also look at the very tactical, which is another one of those gifts that I, I tried to develop and adopt in my leadership, uh, uh, you know, experience. I mean, he was just great at like the strategic leadership of the team. So here's the vision, here's the direction, here's where I need to take this team. And then he could get down in the nuts and bolts of things and just kind of blow your mind. I mean, as a junior officer, you think you, you know, you have the best idea of how to hit a target or get something done attacked. And every meeting I ever sat in with that guy, he would ask a question and be like, God, I had not considered that. Let me think about that boss. I'm going to get back to you. It was yeah. unbelievable. His ability to, to just, you know, kind of, pick things apart in a, in a, in a way that got you to think about it and then be more prepared for the fight. Yeah. You know, um, the last, however long we've been doing this show, you know, call it 200 episodes or whatever we're, we're close to these days. Um, the things that listeners come back and talk to us about months later or whatever is, uh, is the specifics and the stories, you know, yeah. and, um, just, you know, I think in general, the media, we, we come from this soundbite generation and, you know, you get interviewers with a checklist and they're, they're not really listening to the speaker. Sometimes they're just trying to get the answer and then get onto the next check mark they wanted to ask. Right. 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 So we, sometimes we try to maybe go further down the rabbit hole on one thing instead of just always bouncing with, with this guy. Is there any other, you know, like a story of one of your interactions with him that, that you can recall? Um, you know, I remember, uh, he's, so when I, when I showed up my team, um, I got sent to ranger school. So I hadn't even earned my seal trident yet because back then you went to your team, you're on probation for a while. And, um, and, and, you know, you, you, you had to earn your, your trident. So they, they sent me to army ranger school cause he wanted all our junior officers to go kind of learn their, you know, counterparts in the army and get to know that community as much as ours. So we'd see them on the battlefield and so on. So I, I go to ranger school. Um, I, I, performed well i think as much as anything of complete fear that if i screwed it up i'd probably never become a seal so i i went probably above and beyond myself with the effort i put out but i really did work my tail off and and, and part of the thing of doing well in the military is working your tail off doesn't mean distinguishing yourself it means take care and taking care of your teammate or your shooting buddy and i, I really pushed 
to get other people to graduate and do well. I came back from that training and their, their, their form of, of kind of torture, you know, where we use cold and sand and physical misery. Theirs is kind of starving you. They don't give you a lot of food when you're there. And so when I got done, I'd lost like 25 pounds. My feet were a mess because of all the, the ground I'd cover hiking and humping and, and, and with, you know, heavy backpacks on. And, but I, I ended up being what's called one of the honor graduates of that course. And so I never knew this. I came back to my team. I end up getting my bird. I go on to my platoons. But the day I earned my tridents, the day you actually become a, a SEAL, so this is probably five, eight months after that, we do this big swim where we swim up the beach and, and then all the teams there and you're standing there, the commanding officer gives you your bird. I mean, you want to talk about a special day in your SEAL experience. Getting your bird is, is, is right up there in, in one of the top spots. And they really like having family out there. My dad told me this story much later. He never told me this, this commanding officer, but my dad said he was standing with my commanding officer as I was on the swim. And, and he said, Hey, are you, are you Rourke's dad? And my dad said, yes. And he's like, yeah, I got to share something with you. When your son came back from ranger school, he was so beat up. I was actually upset. Like he, he had lost so much weight, which was not uncommon, but his feet were destroyed in a way that I'd never seen of a basic course. Like I thought they'd done something wrong to him. So I actually called the colonel that ran ranger school and said, hey, this is, you know, Commander uh, Commander X up here at Team 4. My young man just went through your training course. And to be honest, you've delivered a broken person back to my command. I'm just curious if you could dig into that. To the colonel's credit, he said, yeah, let me get to the bottom of it. The colonel calls him back and he says, hey, just so you know, I get emotional thinking about it because this commanding officer meant so much to me. But he's like, hey, he's telling my dad. But he's like, just so you know, the reason he got the honor award he got is he got the highest peer rankings. So the peers, all the students in the class, the Rangers ranked him higher than anybody else in the course. And apparently his feet hurt so much because he carried more weight than anyone on all the humps because that lightened the load of somebody else. And one of the instructors said at one point, and we're so like tired and exhausted. I don't even remember this. He actually picked up, a junior ranger battalion kid. So a young, like very, you know, an E nothing in the army. And I guess carried him for about two miles at the end of one of these patrols where if they didn't show up on time, that kid probably would have been kicked out of the course. So trust me, it was a self-inflicted set of injuries, but it was for all the right reasons. You got a good one there. And so it was just really neat to hear that later in my career, that that was a commanding officer was like, look, let me get to the bottom of this. Let me see why he's hurt. And then, you know, he didn't tell me that to like make my head blow up and feel good about myself. He told my dad, my dad didn't tell me for like 10 years. I mean, I, I didn't find that out until recently that that had all unfolded, but you know, that that's the type of officer you're looking for and you want to emulate and become as a leader. The one that digs in and thinks about their troops as, as real special individuals and not just a, uh, not just a chess piece on the board. But I, I feel like you hit the nail on the head there though. A, thinking about these individuals, not just when you have to, yep. but, but thinking, but specifically thinking about them as individuals, right? Instead of thinking about them as a title or thinking about them as a role or thinking about them as an E whatever or an O whatever, right? Yep. Um, why do you think as leaders, we give in to the temptation to feel busy rather than to take that quiet time when we don't have to, to think about the people on our team as individuals? Like we all know, know we probably should. Yeah. Why do you think more of us don't do it more? 
I think probably the amount of, of, you know, the load that's in your backpack or the amount you have on your plate. You know, I, I have this thing in, in a lot of my speaking events. I talked that I learned from, from one of my snipers. I'm not going to tell the whole story because it nuked the rest of our time, but I have this concept. that's kind of one of my tweetable leadership axioms. And it's this, it's, it's look at less, you'll see more. And, and there's a whole story that goes with that. Maybe we'll do that on a future podcast. I'll tell you the full story. But what it, what it really means is, is this was a, a sniper of mine that was teaching me how to find bad guys out in the field, basically looking through binoculars. And he said, you know, if you look at less, if you break down the terrain, you'll see more. And what he ended up teaching me was much more a leadership skill that was like, look, as a leader, I'm going to have so much on my shoulders, so much on my plate. I'm never going to be able to do it all. And what you realize is if you if you look at one issue, one item, drill in, and burn in on one thing, you'll get it done, you'll get it off your plate, you'll get to move on to the next one. You'll, you'll never get it all done. And so what I always try to do when I'm looking at the, you know, the load that's on my shoulders and what I'm carrying weight-wise is, I tr- one, I try and, you know, be very careful about how much weight I'm carrying. And then two, to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm given at least 50% looking down the organization, looking at people I can help compared to what I'm just doing for the organization to get my job accomplished. So you, you just got to really partition a lot of your vision and and intensity and, and really care and concern for your folks and, and create a place where they thrive. And, and then you're going to be good to go, right? I mean, you got good people around you. Um, your leadership journey is going to be pretty easy you you beat your people up and have people that aren't willing to go extra you're going to be struggling the whole time you know it's interesting how it sounds slower to just do one domino at a time right yep uh when think i could do this for the whole team look i took care of the whole team at once um and it goes back to what you just said though about not just thinking about them but thinking about them as an individual you know you think about the whole uh (laughs) cliche of Slow is smooth, smooth is fast, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think they, they've done pretty good scientific, I think, empirical studies that, like, multitasking is basically a farce, right? Yeah. Like, nobody can do it. You just cannot do multiple things. Now, now people will make arguments, but they're like, well, you know, a NASA person flying a shuttle is doing 27 things. You want to be like, yeah, it's yeah, just it's task really switching. All one fast thing. task just, switching, right? It is. And it's just all one thing. It's all one manipulated thing, just like a NASCAR driver shifting and steering and looking. But like, it's all become one thing that they do. But no NASCAR car drivers doing that and then like knocking out their taxes on the side. That, that ain't going to happen. You know, so it's, you, you really. That would be quite a talent, though. Time. I got to say, if somebody could, that it would be a talent. That would be a talent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you think about that, like somebody who takes the time to do that kind of research on you and then takes the time to think it's going to have more of an effect by telling your dad instead of telling you, right? Like that's a guy, you know, intentionally focused, handling one domino at a time, right? Yep. Well, I know when, when he took over the command, he did what's called an official review, which means we're in uniform. He reviewed all, in particular, he reviewed all the officers in full uniform. He, he, he had a history in the Marine Corps, so he'd come from that tremendous, you know, kind of military bearing and discipline that the Marine Corps owns above all other organizations in the United States military, hands down. I mean, the best looking uniforms, the best discipline when it comes to that stuff. So he did this review, and I remember one of my best friends this to this day um, who's a commanding officer in the East Coast? We, we, we've been we've been great friends since day one. Um, you know, saw each other last year on a, on a hunt together, which was great. But he was standing next to me. I heard this commanding officer. He, he talked to each officer individually, and he did it kind of like we're saying at a whisper. So it was really just for them. 
but I remember hearing him saying something. This buddy of mine, you know, we both read Stephen Pressfield's Gates of Fire, you know, about the Spartans at Thermopylae, just a great read and a warrior, uh, a warrior book of, of the highest esteem. And I think this commanding officer had seen my buddy with a copy of that book. Well, he called this buddy of mine by the name Leonidas, the king that led the Spartans. Yeah, yeah on that day and he's like you're you know you're going to be one of one of the future future kings you know leonidas and you know i heard that and i was just like trying not to trying not to shed a tear you know then my buddy afterwards was was like tearing up he's like i cannot believe this guy that we call father war is calling me leonidas I mean, he just he just had the gift you know he had the gift you know um i think that's such a great story uh and i know we're winding up here um so you and I both talked about books. I, I definitely want a quick book list before we before we hop off here. Give us some of your favorites. But uh, I was I was cyber stalking you for a minute, watching some YouTube videos. Do you understand <laughs> you have met or you know Stephen Pressfield? Because I am a huge fan of that guy's. Yeah, no, we've gotten to know each other. My buddy, uh, uh, one of my great mentors. You were mentoring mentors. You know, is probably another again another podcast we can do in the future. Is the value of of finding, cultivating, and and tapping into mentors is uh, is Hugh Hewitt, right? So conservative afternoon talk radio. He did a few of the uh, you know Republican um, presidential. Uh, uh, yeah, debates. I read one of his books. Yeah, phenomenal. Phenomenal. He and Pressfield are buddies. So Hugh had heard me talking about Gates of Fire at some point, and he kind of surprised me one day, had me on his um, radio show, and there's sit Stephen Pressfield. So I got to spend the afternoon with him. <laughs> he actually then blurbed my first book. You know, he's my oh, big Oh, you're kidding. No, no. So look on the back of my first book and you'll love it. He wrote me an incredible blurb. And um, yeah, we become buddies. And, you know, he does so much with the military. We've actually uh, lost touch a little bit, but I I, uh, I reconnected an email recently. And yeah, tremendous thinker, tremendous writer. I mean, just, just one of the greats. Just one of the greats. Interesting his perception of human nature. I mean, the guy, yep. what, a, what a student of human nature. And, you know, you got to think in your world, what an advantage being able to read others and be able to read and acknowledge yourself, right? Yes. Yes. Um, well, let, let's, I know we're running out of time, but I want to hear some of your favorite books of all time. Any, any subject. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, the, you know, you know, the deal, you love books and you read a lot of them and then it's hard to pinpoint the ones that you want to talk about. Um, or you know, a couple, love... a couple of favorite ones recently, anything. No, of course. Um, you know, my dad rode crew in college and I wrote that great runaway hit, the boys in the boat. Um, about the you know the crew team that went to Hitler's uh, Hitler's Olympics and 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 got it done in in the eights. Um, there's a passage in the back of that book where they talk about if you have you read that one. The no, Boys no, the I don't even oh, know about. Gosh, it. so you have to read. This okay. is your next book, and you will yep. call me and thank me. So read the Boys in the Boat. Um, I, I'll save it. There's a there's a part then that we'll talk about next time we talk that's just incredible. Um, in the fiction space, there's one called The Sisters Brothers. The Sisters Brothers, uh, the the author Patrick DeWitt, uh, we're both represented by the same literary agent. And it's just a classic like Western gunfighters book, but it just has uh, it's just fantastic, fantastic writing, unbelievable language, great writing. It reminds me of a of a um, a great book that's much older, The Hawkline Monster, Monster, um, which is uh, you know one of the one of the great. One of the great reads. So Hawkline Monster is another good one. Uh, in the fiction space, one of my favorite that I give to people is one called Last of the Breed, which is Louis L'Amour, who wrote all the like paperback yeah, Western yeah. gunfighter books. Last of the Breed is one about an Air Force pilot that gets shot down in Russia and kind of, you know, survives and escapes. 
that one's out of this world. And it's probably got one of the best beginning and endings of any book I have ever read. Um, we got to give a shout out to uh, somebody I'm a big fan of, you know, Ben Coase. Oh yeah. No, my boy Ben Coase is killing it. His, uh, his, his protagonist, uh, Dewey, Dewey Andre force operator which kills me because i got delta buddies and uh, of course i want to give them all a hard time but uh actually uh, can we piece. you know i know we're supposed to be wrapping up the interview can we stop there for one second sure everybody loves to ham up the difference and i you know being around you guys i know you always raz each other but what yep. people don't know is is uh you know i have some we <clears throat> yeah you always worry about what you can say uh i know some folks from the army special mission unit side yeah. that have just such incredibly nice things to say about the few of the folks from your community. And and that yeah. stuff doesn't get airplay. Can it doesn't you... get, it, 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 it sells more to have us talking trash and to be at, to be honest, there's actually, I think guys get caught in that kind of, this is just what we do. Let's give each other a hard time. I don't do it a lot. I'll do it with them when we're in a like kind of isolated, Place. Like I was on an elk hunt last year with two former Delta operators, good guys, good buddies of mine uh, and some other guys. And, and we razzed each other. But even that like starts going by the wayside because of how much we respect one another and how much we're really all the same. I mean, it's the differences between, you know, Delta and, and, and Dev Group and these top mission forces and all these teams. It, it's so subtle. It, it's cultural stuff. It's not capabilities and, and tactics and all that stuff. It's, it's really just some of these cultural um, you know, bedrock things of our personality, but it, it's all good cats. And yeah, I, I, I like everybody. I like yeah. everybody. Yeah. Well, well, listen, um, we've talked about the books. We talked about your website. What people probably haven't heard is they, they can actually pay to come hang out with you at a campfire <laughs> and some of these other programs besides paying you to come be a speaker at, at, you know, at their corporate event or something. Tell us about the campfire thing and how people can, can contact me if they, oh, if they want to come do that. Man, it sounds sleazy that they can pay to come hang out with me. I no, are that. you kidding? It's, there's a no, lot no, of people that don't have a chance otherwise. No, well, that's what I figured out is I do a lot of speaking to corporate America. There's a bunch of folks that have reached me out on, on social media and, 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 you know, that space being like, look, if my company doesn't book you, I'm never going to get you. So I want to create a vehicle through which I could really connect to, you know, followers, people interested in, in what I'm talking about and, you know, the leadership axioms I talk about and the lessons learned and the stories. So I've got these things called the campfire session. So if you go to RourkeDenver.com, my, my, my leadership company is called Ever Onward. Um, great website. I mean, the thing is just elegant. It looks great. If I do say so myself, of course I didn't do it. So the people that made it, uh, deserve all the credit, but I basically have four. I've done, I did my first session a couple months ago. My next session is May 6th. You can basically, you can buy a single session where you can come in, you know, online. I, I web stream this thing and you, you get a link. So you get to see it live. I try and keep my long winded nature short. I say maybe maybe one or two stories. And then I just get into question and answer. So we can talk about whatever, you know, the folks want to talk about. You can basically buy one session for a dollar amount. You can buy all four for the year for a dollar amount. I'm going to start putting a lot more up there. I want to turn it into a more kind of just like a visual, elegant podcast, not like podcast lack elegance, but I want it to be something that's visual as well. And the campfire is purposeful. I think sitting around a fire, anyone that's done that knows it it like turns off these operating systems in your brain and gets you back to a, a more primal thing when you're you're looking at at fire in front of you so that's that's why i picked it and um and then there's there's the the, the ultimate i guess package would be you could buy the vip and you're going to actually
actually be sitting at a campfire with me. So there's spots at each of those campfires to have people sitting there and you come and we get some time in and, you know, bring a cigar, get some bourbon, a uh, cup of hot tea, whatever you, you like. And, and, and we spend the night. So uh, I've really enjoyed it. The first one was great. I learned a lot from it. We got more coming. I theme them out and um, I, I want to grow that a lot. So anybody that's interested in the campfire sessions, come sign up at uh, rockdenver.com. Love to have you involved. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Love it. Well, uh, appreciate everything you shared with us. I, th- I think there's some really some great ones here and, uh, and thanks again for making all the time. No, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Let's do it again. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy, uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big, uh, company now i think three or four hundred million dollars anyways he uh he started a new company called blipbillboards.com i'm super stoked they're a sponsor now but i I remember a year and some ago when i met him i thought it was genius instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents you pick what billboard you want it on what time of day you want it to run and it just puts so much power in the hands of of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.